Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wild Card Wednesday, a day where anything goes here in the studio. And I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm excited to have a really special guest joining us today to talk about a style of investing that many people may have never considered before. I definitely know I haven't considered it myself. Uh, joining me is Will Rind, the founder and CEO of Granite Shares, who, amongst other things, is the owner of XOUT. That's the letter X O U T, a U.S. large cap ETF. Will, thanks for joining today. Thank you, Emily. Very nice to to be here. Yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about this X out ETF because when I first heard about it, honestly, I was I was really intrigued and and somewhat surprised by its its investing style. So maybe just talk to us about X out and what makes that investing style unique. Sure. So X out is an ETF that we offer, um, completely differentiated way of investing, as you rightly pointed out, and in its simplest form. What we are trying to do is exclude or X out losers instead of pick winners. So what does that mean? Well, traditional philosophy in investing would have us all think about um, picking winners. That's what we've been trained to do. That's what everybody in the market is, is trying to do is we outperform by picking winners. And obviously, over time, we've come to realize that that's incredibly difficult to do. So you know, tons of academic research supports that fact that active management, picking winners is very, very hard just statistically over time. So what the kind of index and, and ETF crowd um, largely did was say, well, actually, instead of picking winners, we understand that that's too hard to do. So let's just buy the market. Let's just buy every stock in the market. And we will, by definition, take the average. And so what XOUT's trying to do and what we at Granite Shares Um, believe is that actually there may be a better way to do it, which is instead of just holding all of the companies in the market, regardless of whether they're good or bad, why not try and leave the bad companies out? And then by definition, you should have a portfolio that may be able to outperform over time. So there are a lot of you know mutual funds out there that maybe focus on specific industries. Uh, to your point, trying to pick good companies in those industries while at the same time excluding bad ones. So what made Granite Shares interested in pursuing this type of investment strategy? Because it really is kind of the first of its type. No, that's exactly right. I think there's there's, a, there's some really good research that um, you know came out relatively recently, and, and by that I mean the last couple of years that that basically sort of said. Uh, over the last 100 years, the vast majority of stock market returns can be attributed to just a handful of stocks. So if we think about you know, any kind of large index, particularly obviously a large U.S. index, we all know that it's just a handful of stocks that are driving the most or majority of that performance. And those stocks people already own. So for the most part, they're going to be the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Apples, etc., and so what we thought was, well, well, actually, knowing that and understanding that only a small number of these companies are contributing to the performance of the market, well, there must be plenty of companies that are actually pulling down or detracting from that performance. 
And maybe it's actually easier to identify a company that's in secular decline or a company that's not thriving or a company that's been disrupted than it is to identify the next Google. And so that's the, the genesis of Excel. And so far, indeed, that, that thesis seems to be true, that it's actually easier to identify losers. We exclude those from the portfolio. We focus on a forward-facing risk, which is technological disruption. And the technological disruption, we want to identify companies that are not thriving. Mm-hmm. So you said the thesis has so far been playing out. How long have, has X-Out been around? And how long have you been doing this? So the, the fund officially launched in October of last year. So that's 2019. So it's, it's very new um, in terms of a, a strategy. But one thing I, I will point out is that um, this was the strategy or a similar strategy was actually run in, in, in a private fund before that. Um, so the strategy was being run as a private fund and then was conceived as an ETF. Um, for purposes of making it accessible to the broader market. Um, so the fund itself has been running for a limited period of time, um, but has doing doing well in terms of not just the performance in terms of total return, but the number of assets and, and the sort of feedback that we've gotten from the market. Yeah, you kind of hit my next question on the head there, which was, there's a lot of options when you're you're setting to you know set up a fund and your ETF in particular with X out, it has a relatively low expense ratio. Uh, and that's a notoriously kind of hard business to get into. So why why did you go to ETF route? Obviously, I'm, I selfishly enjoy it because I think it makes uh, your style of investing and your process way more accessible to the average investor. But surely there must be a business reason behind it too, right? Well, um, selfishly or, or um, to, to sort of disclose my own bias. We are we are an ETF company. So ETFs is what we do. That's what we love. Um, that's what we're passionate about. And so we always, you know, we try and do everything as an ETF because that's our kind of DNA that, that throws through the company. That's what that's what the, the you know, that's experience that we have and, and the passion that we bring to the market. So there was no doubt, no question in my mind that we want to do this as an ETF. Um, and, you know, the ETF is just, it is the it is the, the weapon of choice, if you will, um, in investing today for the vast majority of people. That's really interesting. And and I know you talked a little bit about its performance. I mean, you, you've only had it at least as an ETF since October, so it's a relatively limited time frame and, and that's publicly available to us. But how do you think about correlation with the overall market? So you talk about outperformance, but do you find any Mm-hmm. Less volatility, I guess. Are are you limited to downside at all as a result of this strategy? It, it, I wouldn't think of it so much like that. Um, that we're correlated very closely to the market because really, what the strategy actually does to kind of delve down a little bit is we take the five hundred largest companies in the U.S. by market cap. We score all of those companies on the basis of seven fundamental criteria. That generates a score best to worst, and we exclude the 250 to 250 stocks with the worst score. That's, so a, that's a lot, what you end though. Up with, sorry? That's a lot, though. I mean, that's, that's half of the market right there. That's right. Exactly. So, it's a lot of companies. And by doing that, you end up with a portfolio that's still you know, highly correlated with the market, um, which has basically a beta or a beta of one um, to the market. And so, you're getting a portfolio that is very much correlated to the market. But we think that by excluding these stocks, which 
are detracting from performance, you have a higher probability of being able to outperform over time. So maybe just talk us through your investing process. You talked a little bit about technological disruption, but what makes a company or an industry uninvestable to you? What what makes you choose for it to be part of that 250 that are X'd out? So it's it's such a great question because it gets to the core of why we think the strategy makes sense. So what a lot of tech funds obviously do is they're focused on identifying tech companies and the genesis for that is that tech companies are the ones that are winning. Well, again, this comes back to this philosophy of when you're picking winners, you're crowding or herding that strategy into a few companies. If you flip the thesis on its head and say, well, actually, which companies are being disrupted by technology? Well, now you're opening yourself up to every single company in every single sector. In other words, there's no sector that's immune from technological disruption or disruption more broadly. And so when you start to think about it from that perspective and you reverse or flip the thesis, that's when things start to get really interesting because you can look at the different metrics. In, in our case, we look at you know simple things or fundamental things such as revenue. So can a company increase? Is a company increasing its sales? Employee growth is a company firing instead of hiring people. R&D investment is a company investing in itself through share buybacks. Now, those buybacks um, being done out of free cash flow or is a company having to borrow money to do that? Your profitability, can the company make money? Earnings forecasts, is it expected to make money? And then management score. So we're evaluating these things. And, and as you kind of probably trying to identify, there, there's no one factor that we can identify that you know, elicits technological disruption. But what we think is that by blending these together, you know, we've got a good formula for identifying companies that are being disrupted or are likely to underperform, and we want to get those out of the index. That sounds really similar. I love hearing that because it sounds very similar to the way that you know we here at the Molly Fool go about a lot of our investing processes. Obviously, everybody has their own process, but in an inclusive instead of exclusive way. So it's interesting to take those same drivers and put it in the context of xing out companies, but. There's there's one aspect that personally, whenever I look at companies, I always think about, which is the opportunity for change in the future. So, you know, business models they might seem outdated, but new management, um, new business initiatives, investments uh, into technology these are sorts of things that can rapidly change a business. So, maybe just talk mm-hmm. to us about a little bit about turnover. So, how do you reevaluate companies that may have been xed out that maybe have changing business models now? Yeah, again, great question. Um, so one thing I want to make sure that everyone understands is this is a dynamic strategy. So we rebalance the portfolio every quarter. So that means we're scoring every company as part of our process every quarter. And then based upon that scores, based upon the score, again, we're leaving out the 250 with the worst score. So as you rightly pointed out, a company could quite easily turn itself around, quite easily improve its score by obviously improving on the certain metrics that, that we look for. And therefore, it could conceivably be the case that a company could be out one quarter and then come in the next quarter. The mm-hmm. turnover in the portfolio is still relatively modest, about 40%. Um, so that's a relatively modest turnover. We don't want, um, we didn't want to have a strategy with, with a very high turnover. But I think what makes X out different is that unlike 
you know, say some strategies that exclude on a permanent basis, um, what we have is something dynamic. In other words, we don't care whether the company, you know, we're not trying to exclude or discriminate against any company in particular. All we're saying is that if a company is disadvantaged from the index perspective, it's going to be left out. But if it turns itself around, it's coming back in. Yeah, that I I agree with that general strategy. And I, I like how dynamic it is, as opposed to identifying broad sectors and completely ignoring them. Um, and I've left our listeners, I think, waiting long enough at this point. Uh, to the extent that you can tell us, <laughs> what are some of the companies or industries that your ETF has decided to X out of your fund? Yeah, so in terms of the, the latest quarter of the fund, the top X out, um, top 10 holdings that are X out or eliminating, eliminated, excuse me, um, you can see on our website um, and the fact sheets that we have available for the fund. Every quarter, we're going to publish the top holdings and the top X out holdings. So this particular quarter, J.P. Morgan Chase is actually the largest X out in the portfolio, uh, followed by Visa and followed by Walmart. And then we have a list of, of 10. So within that 10, I could broadly say to you that in terms of sectors that are represented, you have banks or financials. You have um, some telecommunications, and you have uh, some retail or, or energy companies as well. So, but those are sort of the three the three sectors I would think in a general perspective. But obviously, there are ten individual companies that um, make up that top ten list. So maybe talk us through those. I feel like I can hear listeners scratching their heads now because J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Visa, those are companies. Walmart. I mean, these are companies that are kind of cornerstones of American consumerism, yeah. right? And I was actually just going through some data from the S&P, and they, they report their earnings beat for their different industries. And a lot of these are financial companies, and the number one best-performing industry for them in terms of beating on the bottom line over the last quarter has been financials. So what's the thinking that's going in behind Xing out what many people see to be attractive opportunities? So again, we're looking at um, seven fundamental metrics. And those seven metrics, we wait, that creates a score. The worst companies get kicked out from that score. So particularly, let's take, let's take JP Morgan, for example, the mm -hmm. top X out. So probably the two biggest factors that lead to that being X out are a lack of growth in terms of deposit rates. And deposit rates for a bank, you know, think of that as being you know, somewhat analogous to you know, subscribers on the social network platform in that it's a lifeblood of, you know, where the bank, you know, gets its capital. And so if that deposit base is slowing down or, or, or is shrinking, um, then that's not necessarily a good sign. The other thing, particularly with that stock um, that, you know, reflected badly in terms of the model was stock buybacks. So stock buybacks funded from borrowed money as opposed to out of free cash flow, um, which is something that scores negative. So that was mm -hmm. something that, um, was or was specific to J.P. Morgan. I think Walmart's another one you mentioned that, that we get a lot of questions about um, because the company obviously has made strides to try and um, insulate itself from disruption. So bought Jet.com and did you know other you know ostensibly good things. But the, the challenge with Walmart in particular, from our model's perspective, is just so big that the actual sales, when you look at sales growth, sales when you uh, index for inflation are actually moving backwards rather than going forward. Mm -hmm. And it's just the, the sheer size of the enterprise that makes it difficult.
difficult to accelerate um, its sales, earnings, profitability, et cetera, in a way that perhaps other companies and other industries can do. Are you concerned at all about the process of Xing out companies that have strong cash positions if and when there is some sort of market pullback? Um, no, because again, that's not that's not what we're trying to do. So <clears throat> what we're trying to identify is companies that are at risk of technological disruption. And we're trying to leave those out of the portfolio. So therefore, I suppose by definition, the companies that would remain in would be those that are least likely to be disrupted from a technological perspective. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, from that perspective, they're companies that, that presumably or hopefully want to own anyway. Um, so, you know, that that's the that's the the thesis behind it. That's the model, and we think that by owning these good companies or these companies least likely to be disrupted over time, that's the strategy that ultimately allows or gives investors the, the highest probability of being able to to generate sustainable performance. Well, you've definitely already given us a lot to think about. But before I let you go, I, I do kind of want to ask a question: Is you know, the average person listening to this podcast, there may be people who haven't gotten invested yet, who are looking to get invested, just average retail investors, you know, business connoisseurs, lots of different people. So, for the average listener out there, what do you think is maybe the biggest misleading opportunity that a lot of people um, maybe could go out of their way to reasonably X out of their life? Um, I think, well, in terms of in terms of this particular strategy, one example I always give to people is take a company like GE, General Electric. So General Electric, one of the most revered companies in America, you know, so much sort of history and, and you know, legacy behind. If you just left out GE from the S&P 500 in 2016, uh, 2017, you would have outperformed by 1.22%. So just leaving that company out of the market alone, if you did one decision or made one decision, you would have been able to outperform uh, in, in a kind of significant way. Mm-hmm. So extending that to, to a broader portfolio of companies uh, is obviously what we're trying to do with XL. Uh, I think the one thing that probably you know, people should do, um, it may sound obvious, but still not enough people do it, is just do the basic due diligence on a fund. So when you're thinking about making investment, you make sure you understand what the management fee is, what the charges are, what's in the portfolio. And again, the beauty of ETFs is it's all transparent. So you can go onto our website, BrandonShows.com. You can look at the fact sheet. The fact sheet will tell you all sorts of interesting things about the fund. And then clearly for those that are interested in reading a bit more, there's a prospectus. There's all sorts of, of collateral that people can really do their homework on the strategy. So I wish people would do more of that. Um, but I think if I any one sort of top tip for people, it's always just to make sure that you, you you do your homework on whatever investment or fund you're going to buy. I, I love that kind of end note there, because I think it's so meaningful for the average listener. And uh, hopefully this is, for the person listening out there, the part of their due diligence process when thinking about investing <laughs> in companies. Uh, well, I, I know you're calling in from London, so I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come sit, talk with us about XOUT. I look forward to seeing where it goes. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening. 
Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own any companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any companies mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass today. For Will Rind, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm-hmm.